Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to Kicking the Karaoke with me, Sid. And me, Elena. Thank you for all your support for our live event the other month. Can you believe we are one year old? We've been rushed off our feet these past few months. And so this summer, we're going to take a few months off to create some episodes and some killer content. Don't worry, we will be back at the end of September. And we will be recording all summer. So as ever, if you have any ideas for content, topics, get in touch at kickingthekariaki at gmail.com. On our website at www.kickingthekariaki.org Or on Twitter at kickkariaki Or on Facebook, you guessed it, Kicking the Kariaki Let us know what you thought of this episode, last episode, every episode But right now we're talking drag You might be thinking of the RuPaul scene We ask UK drag kings and queens What's the difference between doing drag and being trans? Can non-binary people do drag? What is a bio queen? We chat to Asifa Lahore Adam Orr and Venus de Milo. Hi, I'm Asifa Lahore. I'm Britain's first out Muslim drag queen. I'm a trans woman. I am partially sighted. I'm Muslim. I'm British. I'm of Pakistani heritage and I'm a Londoner. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. It's a real honour to have you here. Can we ask you about what it was like being the first out Muslim drag queen? Wow, what a question. Um, What was it like? On one hand, it was pretty empowering because I guess it was a blank sort of canvas and I could do whatever I wanted to do. I didn't, you know, I was not going to be compared to anyone else. But with that, it came a lot of pressure because I think the sort of era we're going through right now, I think with the Muslim community being in the spotlight internationally and also, you know, the, the prominence of LGBT rights I felt a lot of pressure to meet the middle ground of both communities. Essentially, I'm on the borders of two communities in many ways that are at lockerheads with each other, you know. It's really interesting to hear, you know, what it was like at first when you came out as a the first out Muslim drag queen and... Um and then to think about how that might have changed and also how that interplayed with your identity as both a Muslim and a Pakistani. You know, it's interesting. When I did come out as Britain's first out Muslim drag queen, I was 27 when I took on that mantle. And up until 27, my life was sort of leading up to that. And there was, in a sense, a lot of preparation to do. So first coming out to family, well, actually, even before family, first coming out to yourself, you know, as a teenager, sort of coming out to what I identified at the time as a gay man. And in my early teenage years, I did spend four years uh, living in Pakistan as well. So during like the formulative years of my life, I was very much surrounded with this notion, okay, this is who I am. These are the feelings I'm having. I'm attracted to people of the same sex, but I'm so afraid to be myself because if I do, something drastically bad could happen. I could be rejected by my family. I could potentially be, you know, made to marry somebody that I don't want to marry. And it was only in my early 20s that I ended up coming out as a gay man because I met my future partner at that university and then that sort of propelled me into sort of coming out to to my parents and god I was taken to the local doctor I was taken to the imam so the time sort of preceding being Britain's first out Muslim drag queen although it followed taking on that mantle was quite celebratory before that was like a whole decade of sort of working up to to be 
uh, or step into the heels of. I think it was really interesting what you were talking about, these traditionally jarring identities, being Muslim, but then being a gay man. But then also you recently came out as a trans woman. How does this interact with your identity as a drag queen? For the past sort of six years, I have been dragging up. I have been doing shows. And drag for me, when I started, was very much about just that performing as a woman. And my style of drag was very gender illusionist. In the drag world, we call it fish. Very pageantry, very femme, RuPaul's drag race kind of style of drag. But the more and more it went on, the more I realized this is more than just drag. Every time I would take off the wig at the end of the night or take off my performance clothes, my makeup, a small part of me just ended up dying. And that part of me just grew and grew and grew and grew. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really been discussing my gender identity, firstly to myself and then to my partner, my ex-husband now. So... I want to just take myself back to like my early teenage years. So when I was living in Pakistan, the first sort of contact I had with the trans community was actually in Pakistan. Now in Pakistan, the trans community has been culturally accepted for years and centuries. You know, the eunuch and the hijra community, as they're called back home. And in 2009, they were given equal rights in law. And very much in, in Pakistani culture, although they are stigmatized and there are there is still transphobia out there, it's widely regarded in Pakistani culture uh, and in society that, you know, transgender people are very much legitimate, very much legal. So when I was, you know, growing up in, in Pakistan, I was very much aware of the transgender community. And when I came back to the UK, I was 15 years old. And at the time, you know, this was a sort of late 90s going into early noughties. All that was projected in the UK was you can either be sort of gay or lesbian. And trans issues weren't very visible at all. And it's only been, I guess, in the last three, four, five years in the UK where the notion of being trans is now very much in the mainstream. And so I started asking the question and uh, again, I denied it. And then I just began being honest with myself and I really had to ask really hard questions. Number one was, as a gay man and as Britain's first out Muslim drag queen, I have been super, super successful in raising the argument, getting media attention and having a career. And one question was, do I want to give that up? Do I want to give up my male privilege? Mm. Do I want to give up my performance persona? And I did realize that ultimately it would be a second coming out. And the first time for me was so traumatic and difficult and challenging. And I was like, do I really want to go through that all again? And lastly, do I also want to rock my, my marriage? And when I made that decision, my marriage came to an end. My family have been like really, really supportive, which has been absolutely great. And I've also been negotiating with myself as to what it means for my drag career. And ultimately, my alter ego and performance persona of Asifa Lahore, the way I identify it is what it works very much in parallel to Asifa Lahore the everyday woman. So through my drag art of heightened makeup, heightened wigs and hair and costume, I can access a power of talking about being LGBT Muslim, of performing as LGBT Muslim and, you know, creating art shows. But then at the same time, my day-to-day -day life in being a trans woman is so different from my onstage persona. And which is why I believe that, you know, you can be transgender and you can still be a drag queen. Which brings me on to, I suppose, my question. So we, we've had an episode looking at trans identities. We've also explored non-binary identities, but this is the first time we're exploring drag. So mm. I guess my question is, what is the difference between being trans and drag? So let me talk about transgender first. Transgender is very much my gender identity. You know, I identify as a woman, I identify as a trans woman. I live my life uh, every day as a trans woman. And for me, being a woman was never a choice I wanted. I always identified as a woman. Now, being a drag queen, it's very much about 
putting on a persona, which may end up be, in most cases being a performance. And at the end of the day, it can also be a form of escapism. Although the borders or the barriers may be blurred when it comes to gender identity, it might have gender illusion connotations, or it might alert to the opposite gender, or even the same gender. But it's only for performance. I kind of wanted to go quickly back to something that you said before, which I found really interesting when you were talking about deciding whether you wanted to come out as a trans woman, that one of the things that you had to consider was giving up the male privilege that you had. Mm. And just that notion of deciding whether or not to give up privilege is an interesting one, because normally privilege is something that people don't really have a choice in the matter. You know, it's not the issue with privilege is that it tends to be unearned, right? So it's just interesting, mm. that notion of you having to choose what your experience of that's been been like so far. For me, it was very much a choice. And simply because I see myself as being very successful as the gay man, and that was linked to my drag persona. Behind my coming out story as well, I had to really be this sort of really strong, confident assertive man and it's interesting because these qualities I previously associated with masculinity and being a man and very early on in my drag career I would notice that people because of my gender illusion version of drag and because of my very femme version of drag I noticed very quickly that people would treat me very differently when you know I was female appearing as a sifa and then people would treat me very differently when I was male appearing as a thief. So the negotiations around my sort of gender identity came down to, do I really want to give up my male privilege? Because I was very much aware of it. You know, I come from a culture and a community which is very male-dominated. Some people may also argue that drag culture, to a certain extent, is quite male-dominated. If I was truly honest with myself, I am a woman. Although it, I, I've started my transition now when I'm in my early 30s, it definitely feels right. And I'm happy letting go of my male privilege. And I'm happy stepping into the shoes of being a woman. So do you think um, you can be a woman and still be a drag queen? Or, or, or would you be a drag king now? What's the... <laughs> well, I hope I can be a drag queen still. And I, I firmly believe that I can be. I mean, trans woman aside, I do know there's a massive scene of, of bio queens appearing in the UK drag circuit. So bio queens are cis women who perform as drag queens. And I, I firmly believe that the, the reason why the bio queen scene is growing and is gaining more attention and is successful is that women also want to have that notion of stepping out of themselves for just an hour or two. So I hope to still use drag in, in a lot of my work, in my life, and also on stage as well. So you, you talked about drag being in a, an art form. And I wanted mm. to ask you, do you consider drag being an art form or is it something that everyone can do? And the reason I ask this is because sometimes drag can be done and it can be a little bit insensitive or it can be a pro cultural appropriation. It mm. seems like there's there can be some ways of doing drag and getting it wrong. So at what point, where are the lines, I suppose? Or is even like my my suggestion that drag can be wrong problematic? Look, drag is essentially going against the status quo. You know, if we take drag literally, it's a member of one gender dressing up as uh, a person of another gender. You know, on a literal sense, it's, it's going against the status quo. Now, whether you use it for comedy, whether you use it to entertain, whether you use it for political satire, I think it will always get an audience. And it, you know, drag from the onset, you know, if we go back to, I don't know, the Shakespearean days, for example, it's always been used. And when a performer or a person goes against the status quo, it gets attention. People will watch, people will listen, people want to know, what is this person going to do? Because I think at the heart of the human psyche, there is a small part of drag in everybody where we want to go against the status quo. We want to rebel. We want to have our voices heard. We want to be fully self-expressed. And in a world where, you know, if we take on current climates, a lot of people, you know, anxiety, stress, mental health is on the up. And I think a lot of people are finding it really hard to be 
self-expressed. For me, drag has no barriers. Ultimately, I think this notion of being offended is subjective and it is very individual. What I find offensive may not offend another person, but at the same time, I'm also all up for sticking for somebody's right to offend as well in the name of art, in the name of performance. And that's what drag is. At its heart, it shouldn't be taken as seriously. The very bold statements there and some very controversial statements, you know, this idea that um, maybe we can allow some things to be problematic or cause offence if it's in Mm. the name of art because then Mm. ultimately these also do start conversations. Definitely, definitely. I mean, if I go back to the early days of my career, what propelled me in my early stage shows was a song called Punjabi Girl, which is my parody of uh, Aqua's Barbie Girl. Um, and it, you know, I've made a music video on it on on YouTube as well. And it's literally for me, it's talking about being uh, an LGBT Muslim person living in Britain uh, in this in this past decade, and all the challenges and celebrations that come with it. And you know, it it yes, it it has its lovers, but it also has its critics too. And actually, by putting something out there, some people may be offended by it, but it ultimately has raised the profile of being LGBT Muslim. It's really created a debate out there. And for many, it's a video that's really got the LGBT debate out there in the mainstream and has allowed it to snowball in recent years. Exactly. And so I wanted to know what you could tell us about the history of drag, especially as a woman of colour and as a drag performer of colour, what the drag movement and drag performers have done for the queer movements. Right. Okay. So you mentioned the Stonewall riots, which essentially started the gay liberation in the West. And The Stonewall Riots were basically set in New York and they were set around police brutalities and police sort of raids on LGBT plus venues at the time. And during one of the raids, a black drag queen slash trans woman named Martha Washington literally had enough and rebelled. And that basically started the Stonewall Riots and led the LGBT movement of getting LGBT law into place, getting homosexuality decriminalized. And it very much started visibility of LGBT communities back then. You also mentioned Paris is Burning, which is like an iconic sort of drag docu-film of, of the late 80s and early 90s and very much focused on the drag ball scene in America, which again was started by very much the black, trans and drag uh, circles in, in America. Pageantry, again, very much has, especially in sort of Atlanta and Georgia, has a lot of what I consider BAME, as in Black and Asian minority ethnic influences. And in recent years, you know, the rise of RuPaul's Drag Race has really created a a renaissance in drag in in modern culture and has very much hit the mainstream. Yeah, I think it was Marsha P. Johnson who threw the first brick or rock, wasn't it? Yes. I was wondering... You've talked a little bit about what it's like to be Muslim and the Muslim drag queen. And I was just wondering um, if you could talk a bit about how faith maybe has played a role in your life up to this point. You know, the idea that Muslim LGBT people don't exist and the vilification of people who follow Islam, especially at the moment. Has Islam played a role in your in your life and, and in coming to terms with your identity and being your authentic self? I guess Islam for me has always been there. It's always been very much uh, a way of life in my upbringing. So growing up, my early memories were going to the mosque, my mom teaching me the Quran. On family trips to Pakistan, I would be surrounded by the calls to prayer, which resonate uh, five times a day in Pakistan. And I was very much, you know, I was always encouraged to pray and to fast and to believe in one universal God. follow the five pillars of Islam, you know, which are prayer, fasting, giving to charity, pilgrimage, and believing in one universal God. But it was never sort of forced upon me. And it was never, you know, it was very much for me a choice. And it was very much 
a cultural Pakistani uh, identity. And again, I was very much encouraged, very much in my Britishness as well. You know, I was always encouraged to read sort of classic English literature like Jane Eyre. I was, you know, I was encouraged to watch EastEnders, watch British television. I was never sort of segregated in any way in my upbringing. So I grew up with all my sort of identities celebrated uh, and expressed. And it's only when I got to my sort of teenage years that I realized that, God, my uh, sexual orientation would really clash with my Muslim identity because both identities would essentially be at lockerheads with each other. And I went through different phases in my late teens and early 20s where I would go through a year or two of rejecting my religion and just concentrating on my LGBT and British identity. You know, I'd be partying hard, I would be dating, um, I'd be really expressive as a gay person outside the house. And, you know, if we bring our authenticity into it, there would be a, a part of me that would always feel unfulfilled. So I then went through a couple of years of sort of, okay, I'm unhappy, let me denounce my LGBT identity, let me just concentrate on my Muslim identity. Then, you know, regularly go to the mosque five times a day. I would, you know, really involve and surround myself with everything to do with my Muslim culture and identity and sort of limit, you know, going out, limiting sort of access to my LGBT friends, culture. And again, another part of me would be totally unfulfilled. And it's only when I met, you know, my ex-husband and I decided to come out and I decided to be honest with my family and I entered into, you know, at the time it was a civil partnership. And it was during that union where my mum attended my civil partnership ceremony and all my identities sort of came together. And I decided at that point, look, Ultimately, I can follow the five pillars of Islam. I can pray, I can fast, I can give to charity, I can believe in one universal God. And I went on pilgrimage with my mum to Mecca. So I can still do that. I can still be gay. And ultimately, it's up to God to decide my fate. Whatever will be, will be. You know, as a Muslim, I, I, I believe in judgment and I believe only God can judge you. And at the same time, I go through moments of live and let live. In many ways, I believe God sent me to this life to really just live my life and be happy. And as long as I'm not hurting anyone, then I can be whatever I want to be. Well, that was epic. Yeah, <laughs> it was beautiful. I'd really love to know, what can we do to be allies to you? Wow. Okay. Well, what I would suggest is come and see our shows Maybe even get involved, maybe even bring out your inner queen or king or person. And just in your everyday life, just be self-expressed. I can guarantee you, if you put on a piece of clothing or a style of makeup that you're not used to, it will bring out a whole different side of you that you never knew existed. And when you start expressing that side of you, you will tap into skills that are going to make you even more whole and even more expressive than you ever thought you can be or could be. How can we suggest people follow you, find out what you're up to? People can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, it's at Asifa Lahore. So that was Asifa Lahore talking us through her identity and her art and how she balances both. Up next, we talk to Adam All about the world of drag kings. Hi, I'm Adam All and I'm a drag king. Okay, so what is a drag king? It's a lot of things to a lot of different people and it's a very varied art form. It is a performance that explores maleness and or masculinity, often performed, but not always or exclusively, by female-bodied people, whether or not they identify as female. The thing is, so many people believe that a drag king is a woman dressing as a man and doing a parody of masculinity, often toxic masculinity. And where that is used, and that is part of the drag king scene, it is only one element, and there are hundreds of elements. The, the majority of drag kings at the moment are exploring what it means to be male, what it means to be masculine. Um, and those are not mutually exclusive things and they are not also 
the same thing and um, <laughs> and the fluidity of society's understanding of gender and our understanding of our own genders and the gender we want to portray which again different things and the same thing at the same time it's a deeply empowering and explorative performance art that uses gender signifiers to um fuck with the concept of gender amazing <laughs> boom you talked about toxic masculinity there mm. but you as adam all aren't really an example of toxic masculinity no not at all and i purposefully avoid that I know that some people do, they use it in their performance and they use it um, to great effect to talk about the damaging nature of toxic masculinity, both to men and women, because it is damaging to everybody. It's really interesting, but it's the thing that I chose to do when I started was to, to find a way of creating maleness without any toxic masculinity, as far away from that as possible, to create a character that was um, male without being a parody of maleness. <laughs> it's really hard to explain it. Tell us some things that you do when you perform as Adam Moore. Some of the really important elements to Adam's performances include big, bright block colours, um, generally considered not very masculine colours, like pearlescent pink or lime green or bright yellows or reds. And I wear a bow tie rather than a tie. <laughs> and, and sparkly things, I wear a lot of glitter. And it's all about male signifier clothes, a suit, uh, a bow tie and braces and flat shoes and male signifier clothes, but done in a, in a very non-male very non-masculine but also non-threatening way i'm not trying to pass so hard i'm trying to create a touchable cartoon character so the drag king community <laughs> drag kings aren't that common or weren't previously what like 10 or 12 years ago when you first started performing as adam so how did you get into it as briefly as i humanly can um the history of drag kings <laughs> no, go for um, it. so it was roughly 150 years of drag kings happening across the world um I suppose it was mostly focused starting in London, but the first drag king was from New York in 1867. That was Annie Hindle. And it's a really fascinating story how they came over to the UK and did lots of stuff in the London theatres. Um, and it wasn't connected to the LGBTQI community because there wasn't really a visible community at that time. And it boomed for ages. It was really popular and drag queens sort of came around a couple of years later and sort of were discussing gender and society and, and working with parodies. People found it really funny and it was great. And then there was a whole sort of thing about queer people and it kind of got buried underground. Um, we've always been here. No one can claim to be the first anything really at this point because there's so much going on and you never know who's doing what in what city where. But I know the last really big boom that we had was sort of late 80s, early 90s. I started 2008 and it was quiet. I think I knew maybe three other drag kings in the UK. It was such a quiet scene and I really didn't think that it was going to be what it is today. I never imagined that this would happen. I really, really wanted to inspire other people to do it. The whole aim at the beginning was to be like, oh, I'll do it. And people go, oh, I can do it better than that and they'll do it too. And then I won't have to do it anymore. But, um, <laughs> and I really thought I'll do it twice, you know, and, and that'll be the end of that. And unfortunately, you do tend to get the itch. Um, and then <laughs> that's it, you're hooked. So... Yeah, it was quiet, but it's just been this amazing, amazing roller coaster. It's just boomed. It's bonkers. When we started Boy Box, there were probably about three or four, maybe five maximum kings in the UK performing regularly enough that we could ask them to come all the way to London and perform. And it was, we just provided a karaoke machine and some stick on moustaches and just let people go with it. And they did. And the response was immense, immense. We, didn't, we never realised how much need there was for it. And now we're looking at 50, 60, 70 drag kings across the UK performing, working the cabaret circuit, doing things, doing nights, nights popping up all over the place. And I'm constantly hearing stories of people saying, oh, you know, I, I understand myself better now because I do this and I feel more comfortable in my, in my muggle life um, because I can perform drag and drag helped me understand who I am and people feeling really empowered by it and using it as a political platform and hooking into the, the queer scene as well and being part of that movement. It's just, it's a magical thing. I had no idea there were 70 drag like, kings you wouldn't, now. You wouldn't even believe Take, for example, Man Up is a competition. It runs once a year, and this year there are four heats. We're, on, we're just on the second one, and we've already had 11 drag kings. Half of them I, I did, I've never met before. And that's just one competition in one city, in one bar. They're just popping up out the woodwork everywhere. We had a um, boy box last night. We had six drag kings on the stage, and the previous one before we had a different five. They're all over the place. 
So did you get any kind of mentoring or like supporting each other to make your acts better or do the facial hair better or the makeup? I think that's something I'm probably most proud of, actually. Um, Boybox is a really tight community. And I say Boybox like it's the only one. It's not. There are other nights that do very similar things. And I think as a community, even connecting with um, Kings in the States and Australia, and we really share ideas. And we call each other brother um, or dad or uncle or you know, son, and, and it's and it's part of the community warmth, swapping ideas of where did you get your tape from and, like, what do I do with this bit of my contouring and how is it best to stick my moustache on? And we really, really share ideas. People are like, oh, you should... I came up with this great idea. You should totally would suit your character really well. You should do this. And like, swapping ideas about downloading music and editing things and, and hooking people in on, oh, I've got this gig and they want other drag kings to come with me and do this thing. And, you know, it's a really nice, warm, welcoming environment. It's not, it's not competitive, it's not aggressive, it's this really nice community of people just working together to make something. So, so how important is Adam all to you? Adam is, I think if, uh, oh, I, can't, I, I couldn't live without performing Adam, I think it would just, I wouldn't really work. The way I describe it, um, if you're a drag performer, your drag self is like your peacock's tail. Like it's there all of the time. It's not always on display, but it's there all of the time. And occasionally you got to put the thing up. So um, you're like, ta-da, and this is also me. Um, so it is part of me, it is me, but it's not the me I show all of the time. So <laughs> Adam's character is um, roughly based on some things about me and then some things about um, society's understanding of maleness and then some things that I've picked up from people that I've met, some things that I want to include. It's really odd. I think about performing... Adam, being Adam, wearing the suits pretty much all of every day. If I hear a piece of music that I think could be worked into a concept, I, I tend to just put everything down and go and make notes. Um, <laughs> constantly learning lyrics or thinking about the next gig or how we're going to piece something together or what I can do with Apple at this point there and what costume I can throw together. It's pretty much 80% of my existence. You just mentioned Apple. Do you want to explain to the listeners? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so my partner, Ellie, we've been together for six years and I've always done drag in that time. When I started Boybox, I needed a second pair of hands and I begged them to help me. So we created Apple as a character to sit with Adam. So Apple Derriere's is Adam's long-suffering girlfriend. Um, they always match clothes though she tends to outdo me quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> she's very flamboyant. Alpha Femme, who is um, pretty much in charge of the whole situation, and Adam really does what he's told. So, <laughs> But we like to play with the concept of a pseudo-straight relationship, how that works, and the, um, the gender balance and roles in, inside that, which is it's really fun to play with because there's a lot of uh, queerness going on. I think it's fun for people to watch because we're also a real-life couple. I think people enjoy that element of it, the realness of it. But yeah, for us, it's all dance routines and, and harmonies and getting sneaky kisses in and things like that and like trying to yeah, be open about who we are as well as um, the couple themselves, Adam and Apple. But Sounds yeah. like so much fun. It is. It's really fun. It's really, really fun to work with my partner. Maybe I'm annoying at two in the morning when I suddenly had an idea and I wake her up. Let's dress as flamingos. <laughs> like, yeah, OK. You know, sewing costumes in front of um, the telly. Hours and hours and hours sewing sequins on. Romantic. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. <laughs> but it's really fun, yeah. And we squabble over dance routines all the time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. That's hilarious. We normally end up pissing ourselves laughing. So yeah, it's really fun. It's exhausting as a job being a performance artist. There's the amount of energy you have to um, shell out. But where we're doing it together, I think I, I'm definitely much stronger working with her than I would be trying to do it on my own. When you and Apple perform, you kind of play on these like kind of heteronormative, straight relationships. Mm-hmm. What kind of aspects of that do you bring to the performance then? Oftentimes in the dance routines, it's suggested um, who has dominance in the situation. I suppose dominance isn't really the right word, but there's a play between the two roles about even who's more feminine, who's more masculine. Um, Apple is very much more empowered to speak out and she's more sort of in charge Adam's a bit more like he's a showman and he just kind of he's almost like a, a little dog that needs to be pulled back on his lead every now and then but we like to play around with that that's reversed and it's played with and it's messed with so the roles of who's in charge and who's not in charge if you were to look at it in a heteronormative sense of male female patriarchiness is definitely a complete mess and a mishmash they're very much on an equal setting when it comes to actually singing and, and dancing but you know she'll poke and prod him and move him around and, and bend him over and give him a good mm-hmm. shafting and <laughs> And he does what he's told, you know, and he's like tries to cuddle her all the time and is constantly looking for affection and and then occasionally tries to grope her boobs and she gets told off. And and that kind of play is is an exaggeration of us anyway, to an extent. Um, But it's really funny because our audience members really relate to those elements and seeing sort of me as a non-binary person and Ellie as a femme identifying cis female and how they fit into the queer community and looking at our relationship and how that works inside. It's nice for us to do because I think there is still not enough representation of female body people on the queer scene, on the gay scene. And I was just talking to someone earlier about how the gay scene and the queer scene aren't normally even the same thing, which is a shame. Yeah, that's one thing that I was interested in asking about, actually, is in heteronormative society, right, men dominate it. And then it also within the queer or gay or LGBTQ plus community, it tends to be quite dominated by gay men. And then within the drag community, drag queens dominating again that scene. So what are your thoughts about that? Um, I have lots of thoughts about that. I think for me, I get the business model. We have a scene where there are more spaces for gay men. There are more gay men attending those spaces, so they turn a profit. So what they're going to do in those spaces is provide entertainment appealing to those people. That makes perfect sense. I think drag kings do appeal to gay men. I've had lots of gay men say they've really enjoyed the show. I've had lots of gay men say they really relate to Adam's character and say that it relates to the kind of person they were before they came out, that they were hiding their their campness or their femininity because it was unacceptable in straight society. And Adam is very much like that. He has this sort of hidden camp side when he's being showman is quite happily released. So we have this LGBTQI community that's very male-dominated, mostly male spaces, and you have this sort of queer community, which is more mixed, and then we have our one women's bar. It's the only one left. You have to think about the business aspect of it. People have to run things. Rent has to be paid. But at the same time, I feel that there's an enormous pool of talent and available performers and things to be said politically and socially that it's just not being tapped at all. And it's just beginning to scratch the surface now, Drag queens seem to be very binary and very like a hyper-femininity. Maybe this is just a reflection of of what I happen to have seen. Um, I think it probably is. Yeah. I would say there's several schools of drag queens. I know plenty of non-binary identified drag queens who perform queerness. There's some really, really great examples of gender blending and gender bending and really, really amazing bearded queens. Um, The kind of the face of the old school stuff is still going strong. It's perfectly relevant. But there's a really broad scene which isn't as well celebrated, I think. It is becoming more celebrated, certainly. Drag kings are sort of hooked into that. I think that's good for everybody. (laughs) So what do you make of things like RuPaul's Drag Race then? I've said this before. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think you've got one side where it's really helping a mainstream audience understand some concepts of what drag is and what drag is to our community. But then you have quite a closed concept of what drag is and then suddenly you have these people going, oh, well, I know everything about drag because I've watched RuPaul's Drag Race. No, you really don't. There's so much more. Because if that's all that drag was, then drag kings wouldn't even exist. I think it's a nice introduction, but I think it only opens the door um, and there's a whole world behind that door. Um, But I do think that awareness breeds more awareness, understanding it better. I think that's good for everybody. I'd like to see broader representation. At the same time, it is what it is. For example, people have suggested to me, oh, why don't drag kings get to be on RuPaul's Drag Race? I kind of would love the exposure. That would be amazing for drag kings. And there's some epic American drag kings who do a really good job. 
But at the same time, how do you judge a drag king against a drag queen? Say, for example, you've got a sewing challenge. They all have to make a ball gown. What's he going to do? Is he going to make a suit from scratch? He says, gentlemen, start your engines. And that's Everything would have to change. They almost don't fit in the model. So it would need to be a different programme. Also... What does Rue know about drag kings? Who's to say he's the authority? So what about starting your own? I'd like to. <laughs> yeah? I have all of his suits, you know, pretty much the same aesthetic as Rue out of drag. is him, to be fair, even down to the glasses. That sod stole my look. But uh, <laughs> no, I'd really like to. I'd like to see it happen. I don't know whether I'm the person for that job. I'd like to be. But there is a space for it, that kind of celebration of it more in the mainstream. Yeah, and there's been attempts at doing drag king competitions that are more global. King me on Instagram and YouTube. And and that was really exciting. But um, there's a sort of, I don't want to talk about it too much, but like there is a sort of financial issue with it. The amount of time that you need to dedicate to a thing like that would mean that you would need to be fully funded and everyone have to be paid. That's kind of a bit of a barrier. That's really interesting, like bringing up this idea of class. I mean, my kind of only real exposure to the drag scene is RuPaul's Drag Race, like the mm-hmm. kind of mainstream. Some queens who go on and aren't as affluent as the other queens, mm-hmm. and that, they talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. So it, how do you make ends meet when you do something like this? It is not easy. No full-time job is easy, though, is it? It's definitely a full-time job. People think, oh, you're only on for 15 minutes. What are you worried about? It takes me like an hour and a half to get into drag, even in the first place. Um, all of that makeup has to come from somewhere, has to be paid for by something. And then, of course, there's getting around everywhere i mean yeah it's okay if, if all your gigs in london but to be fair if you want to actually make a living you need to travel the uk especially as a drag king where there's far fewer stages that are open to the concept in the first place though that is fast changing it's not there yet mm. there is the other element which is the um the legs under the swan of all the marketing and branding and websites and contacting people and emails and um, which has to happen so um yeah it's hard but yeah, i mean it's doable i'm fully confident that I've made exactly the right decision not just for me but for the scene and I know that I've been lucky it's made difference in a lot of people's lives and I'm really proud of that Mm. like really proud of that seeing all the wonderful other nights blossoming all over the place and the people coming out of the woodwork to celebrate drag kings and be a drag king and and embrace that in their lives it's just I don't care that I can't go to an expensive holiday there's never been anything that I wanted what I wanted was to know that I was doing my bit and um, yeah damn well am can you tell us a little bit about how it might have changed people's lives? Without giving names, I don't think I should. It's not my story to tell, but I know of people who've said, you know, I was very confused about my gender identity and when I started performing in drag, I was able to embrace my femininity more or my masculinity more. Or now that I'm performing in drag, I understand that I am non-binary and that has brought me great relief and self-confidence. And other people saying I've kind of used drag to explore my maleness and now I've begun transitioning and I'm much happier but then also people saying you know I've I've wanted to be able to talk about these concepts around maleness and masculinity and they've not had a platform to do that you know so it's really liberating and really empowering we're really only even at this point brushing the surface of what people are capable of in its own tiny little way drag kings are sort of changing the world Mm. and even despite the names of drag king and drag queen it still really celebrates non-binary identities Mm. and the whole questioning what it even is masculinity and femininity and how much you can show. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Would it be a fair question, and I'm kind of playing devil's advocate a little Mm. bit here, but to kind of ask the difference between drag and trans, and and I know there is a difference, Mm -hmm. but I'm thinking like people are listening at home and are thinking, well, you know, um, you dress up as Adam, you enjoy dressing up as Adam, how does that not make you a trans man? Well, um... Adam is a character that I play, but as a trans man, you're not playing a character, you're being yourself. So being trans is a being, whereas being drag is a performance. I know that um, having those things confused, whether you're drag or trans, can be quite uncomfortable, can be insulting. That's kind of something that we need to make sure is very, very clear. Um, But equally, the the door isn't closed in drag to people who are trans. I know lots of trans guys who perform as drag kings and I also know of trans guys who perform as kings but prefer not to use the word drag. And so there's there's a real mix. But it, yeah, just to make sure that it's completely clear when you're performing as a drag king, you're performing as a drag king. But when you're a trans guy in this instance, that is who you are. It's not a performance at all. It's mm. a person herself. Right. So you've talked a lot about drag being as a, a kind of a performance. Is it an art form 
or can anybody have a go? Performing as a drag king, it's definitely an art form. But I do also think that there are um, play elements about understanding gender that I think everyone could have a try at. However, I do think there is a line that really ought not to be crossed about parodying for the sake of humiliation a gender stereotype in in the sense that Take, for example, uh, something everyone's seen on a Saturday night, um, a stag do, and everyone's dressed as Britney Spears or something. It can be damaging, I think. It's very limited as a thing anyway. There is also an element of a society coming together where people are exploring gender and playing with the concept of it and feeling what it feels like to dress as a guy if you're female-bodied, if you're cis-identified. I think could be a real eye-opener. And I think the other way around, yeah, it can be really, be really enlightening. I think it's something it's, it would be fun to see more people explore. Yeah, definitely. So... <laughs> how can we be allies to you and our listeners? And what are you working on? How can we support you? Where can we find you? What are you up to? Definitely come to the gigs. Come to Drag King gigs. If you see Drag King gigs, go. Support venues that do Drag King shows and do queer drag shows, do drag shows in general, really, to be fair. Boy Box is my baby. It's our Drag King night that we run twice a month. The second Thursday is the Glory and the last Thursday is our Mothership event at She on Old Compton Street. Come along and enjoy that. It's literally £2 entry. Um... And Man Up is also happening at the moment. I'm hosting that with Johnny Wu. I have a Facebook page, Adam All. It's nicely, easily spelt. And Twitter and Instagram. And I have a website. So by supporting, we'd be increasing the demand for it, really. And increasing the visibility and the questioning of gender and the enjoyment of entertainment. Yeah, definitely. Do come along to the gigs. It's all very well liking a picture, but come to the gig. It's much more fun. There's so many. There's no excuse. Yeah, there's no all excuse. Over the country. Everywhere. We love being part of a community. There's there's a page on Facebook called Drag Kings Unite, and we welcome all newbies. So if you're a drag king or a budding drag king or would like to be a drag king, get in touch with those people too. Amazing. Adam All, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. You. It's been great. That was Adam All talking about his act, his art, and his companion, Apple Derrière. Isn't it amazing how he's inspiring a new generation of drag kings to give it a go? Up next is Venus de Milo. Oh, that French kills me, Sid. Pas de problème, c'est très facile, tu sais. Uh, bullet. Yeah. <laughs> I sounded like one. Hi, I'm Venus de Milo. I am non-binary, white, um, queer. I am disabled, technically. And um, yeah, that's me. Amazing. Thank you so much, Venus, for coming on the podcast. We are talking about drag and all its various forms on this podcast. And and I think um, one of the things that's so interesting about your drag is that I think people can sometimes think that uh, drag is just for men. So it's like a drag, drag queen kind of... Yeah, that it's just for men. Whereas you are... We're non-binary, actually, which is interesting and you do drag. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, day to day, personality-wise, I think I'm still quite feminine, but dress-wise and things like that, I'm kind of more on the masculine side. So, like, I'll bind my chest or, like, I don't wear any makeup, stuff like that. So, for me, doing drag is my sort of expression of my female side, best of both worlds. That's amazing. Could you tell us a little bit about um, what being a drag queen means to you? Drag to me is more about like knowing your known queer history, being there to sort of protect the scene and you know, if anybody ever has any problems, I'd like to think that being a drag queen they'd come to us to help them and it's like anyone can put a wig on, like get on stage. I think there's more of a social responsibility to doing drag. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because the way you were talking about it, it sounded a bit like you were drag queen kind of mothers, or can you elaborate on that? Because I had no idea. I think especially since like RuPaul's Drag Races came along, um, there's a lot more people getting into drag. Like You get the typical sort of twinky guys who just want to look sexy or fishy and get drunk. And But I think for the queens who have been doing drag before drag race started i think it's got a different meaning behind it so we're more conscious of like our history and drag queens that came before us and the culture behind it and i think to me that's what's important about doing drag you just said the word fishy could you explain what that means (laughs) and twink Um, twink yeah well twink is more sort of like 
really skinny like gay boy so you'd have like a twink so you know that don't have a lot of facial hair or body hair and really slim tall it's just one of the categories because you've got like bears who are like hairy men who are broader so it's just there's a lot of different terms I forget that people don't really know what they are. <laughs> I think that's the thing is that you, we're, we're the same that we'll just like say all these terms because obviously we're we're interested in this. Like we talk about it. That's kind of you know part of our society and culture. And then people are like, oh, what is everything you're talking is jargon? If you could just explain fishy because that's something about passing, is it? Or- yes, fishy is a drag queen who can pass as a real woman. There's been a lot of controversy lately in Newcastle about like cis women being offended by the term fishy because obviously the meaning that underlies the term is sort of like a female's genitals like smells that kind of thing that's where it comes from but people don't really use it as that anymore so that's more of like an outdated meaning behind it so now that's all it is it's just passing as a woman is it a compliment or is it um an Um, insult i don't think it's an insult i think most drag queens who use the term fishy do it because they like the term and that's what they want. So if they want to pass as a woman and they're called fishy, they would they would have it as a compliment, yeah. So what about the phrase or the term bio queen? What, what, does, yeah. what do you think of that? I personally really don't like the different terms because there's like bio queen, air for queen. What, did, um, what do these mean? So bio queen was like, a biological woman for queen i was like four means fake and i think bio queen's the better of the two because it is technically a drag queen who is a biological woman but if people use four queen it kind of makes it seem like our drag isn't as important isn't as important as an actual drag queen says so for me i prefer not to use those kind of terms yeah, I wanted to ask actually how you, like, do you even call yourself a drag queen? Because obviously, um, as identifying as non-binary, do you call yeah. yourself a drag queen or what, what yeah. would you say? Um, no, I, I much prefer drag queen to anything else. Because apart from the fact that I don't talk, everything I do is the same as a male drag queen. Like, I don't rely on like facial features or sort of like body shape, anything like that, any advantage that a woman might have. Like I kind of ignore all that. So I think effort-wise and sort of everything to do with that on a level part with a drag queen. So I don't see why I shouldn't be called one as well. Yeah. You mentioned uh, when you were introducing yourself that you were you were disabled. Can you uh, elaborate on your disability? Yeah. So as my name goes obviously being Mr Milo um, to start you with norms and I'm not that different um, my arms are really short I've got hands that are probably a couple inches below my shoulder and yeah I use it a lot for performances and ways to get out of things I didn't realise <laughs> that it's a statue yeah that's what? where it comes from oh gosh of course that totally makes sense uh-huh. that's uh-huh. so cool so obviously because if you're if you're disabled that doesn't necessarily have to um you know like be a part of your identity that you're like an activist on or that you're active on but does your disability interact with your drag at all or is it just yeah my disability interacts on a certain level i use how i am for performances sometimes i like people to sort of look at me and be like yeah like she's disabled she has no arms but she's still on stage she's all like does her own makeup but at the same time it's kind of nice when that's not the only thing Mm. so i would like well i think that's how it works but i think i'm kind of 50 50 with it yeah because there's there's very i mean there's very little visibility of drag queens that are not men for it to start with and then there's very little visibility if any visibility of drag queens people with disabilities and there's very little visibility in general of people with disabilities you know so it's yeah it's in how what are your thoughts on that i agree i 
don't really know that many drag queens who have any kind of disability. There's a girl in America that I know of who's in a wheelchair, but she's the only one that I've really sort of seen through social media. Everybody else seems quite, like, one for a better word, able-bodied. Well, it could just be because people assume that they can't do it, maybe, so they don't. Um, I don't really know why there isn't that many people around, but yeah, I think hopefully that will change in the future. Like, if there's people like me out there who would hopefully show people that they can do it, then more people might start. Yeah. What would be your advice to someone thinking of starting doing drag? Well, there's people asking all the time. Um, And I always say, just, just do it. If you've got any fears, any worries, if there's anything that makes you think you can't do it then just ignore it all like if you've got a disability own it if you're a woman own that there's literally nobody who can't do drag i don't think it's interesting yeah it's interesting i'm just like this idea that um you you know when i think about drag i I feel like drag is like a really expensive hobby in that you know you gotta you gotta buy the makeup the clothes and all of that and and that's just like a do you think there's any element of class at all when it comes to drag no, well, so when I think about drag, my a lot of my understanding is RuPaul's Drag Race, right? And a lot of the yeah. the queens on RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, they tend to come from very um, potentially like impoverished, or I don't know if impoverished is the right word, but they don't come from like a lot of money. You know, a lot of the time they've had to really, really graft and work all kinds of jobs just to be able to afford things. So maybe that doesn't, maybe there's not much of an argument in terms of the, if, is there a class element in it? But is your, is your, what's your experience in that terms of sense of drag? Is, you know, is it expensive? Is it an expensive hobby to do in terms of maybe time and money? Like, it's really expensive. It's funny how, much money you used to have and then when you start drag it all just seems to disappear (sighs) i don't think there's any sort of class that can't do it so like with me and like my drag sisters a lot of drag comes from sort of like being creative with things so if you can't afford a lace front wig get a cheap one and style it but if you've got the money to use then a lot of them do and like have amazing wigs and costumes but I think if people want to do drag they'll find a way of doing it either way. I guess it's like any hobby if it's something that's really important to you and you enjoy and I suppose also if you get really maybe good at it or good coverage or people ask for you back then they might pay you for your time to perform I guess. Yeah exactly yeah um that's totally fair. My first couple of years doing drag it was kind of just like a hobby it would just be of like for a night out on a weekend but I'm at the point now where it's not enough money to live on but I am starting to get paid work from not only people in the northeast um I've traveled down to Bristol before I've traveled to Colorado before as well so slowly I am starting to actually make a small living outfit wow that's amazing so you is this like your full-time job not completely full time. It takes up like it does take up a lot of time. This week, the only days we've got free are today and Friday, I think. So we've got like I don't know, maybe four or five gig, four or five gigs this weekend or week. But then another week, it might just be one. You don't really know how it's going to turn out, so you can't really rely on it for an income. <sighs> so it's kind of half and half. It's. As much as the time it takes to get everything ready, it's a full-time job. Mm. But on a money hours doing it, it is still just sort of part-time. So uh, and I, you mentioned earlier about how like drag um, kind of like allows you to explore like a more feminine side of yeah. your identity. And, I, and what I think is really interesting when I think about non- um, male or people who aren't men doing drag is that I, I almost feel like it's potentially like a big drag is like a big fuck you to society and where it's like oh yeah. you know when you think about um, women have to uh, wear where not that you know they have to wear some makeup but not too much makeup and they have to have their hair a certain way but not too too styled and when people yeah. who aren't men do drag for me it almost is if like you know 
fuck you, I'm going to be as feminine as I want to be, I'm going to wear as much makeup as I want and I'm going to do my hair as as outrageous or, or as not as outrageous as I want. And does that play into you, into your drag at all? I think that does play into a lot of people's drag. I don't know if it necessarily plays into mine. Um, when I do drag, I like to think of it as more of a, a play on, like, the social construct of gender. But, like, I know queens who will go out practically topless because obviously there's a lot of controversy with sort of like the hashtag free the nipple that was going on and things like that. Women are ju- judged a lot for the bodies compared to men so those queens who go and show that through their drag that's amazing but mine is more of a gender fuck kind of thing I think that's why I do it. Can you let us know like how we can support your work or how we can be an ally to you and to um other fantastic non what was the phrase we used not non-classical mm. non-traditional <laughs> uh, non-traditional drag acts yeah I would say if people want to support us then don't just go to a drag show if there's a real girl on because all the rest of us have to make a living and we're performing almost every week and if you want to support drag you've got to support your local queens as well and as allies of drag I think what a lot of people don't have is a level of respect so if I'm in a club with another drag queen don't come up to me and be like you're a girl aren't you because that's kind of separating me from them and sort of like detracting from what I've done a little bit Hmm. yeah and just if you see, see a queen dressed like a queen if you've got questions that you actually don't know and what answers for that's fair enough but sort of believe what you see rather than what you think it should look like what you said makes, yeah. yeah no absolutely so you should you should kind of appreciate the queen for how they present and not try and guess or, or yeah. like or, or make i mean maybe that that's part of the the act is the play on it but that's not that's not something that means that gives you the authority to go up and ask questions that can be quite invasive and yeah. also when you talked about um people going up to you and asking you if you're you're a girl they're also raising your non-binary identity exactly i feel like i get a lot of sort of social dysphoria from doing drag when people come up to you and ask what your gender is if you don't actually consider yourself to have one that's another barrier that you've got to get across to people so not only are you trying to defend the fact that you are doing drag as a non-biological male you've then also got to explain like what your gender identity is and I don't think questions like that and I don't think you should have to go into that much depth about yourself to strangers even if you are a drag queen Mm. Out of interest, just based on what you were saying just then, um, do people respond differently to you when you're dressed as Venus de Milo to when you are, I suppose, yourself, non-drag? I think so. I think it's the same with any drag queen, really. You get Obviously, you get a lot more attention. People aren't as inclined to come up to a random person in the bars they are to a drag queen. So I think if you're not in drag, you kind of fade into the background a little bit, which is always good. But apart from that, I think it's just, you know, a lot of people on the scene know who we are and treat us the same either way. And if people don't know who you are, they just walk past because they've got no reason to find out who you are because they won't expect you to be a drag queen. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What what does being Venus de Milo mean to you? To me, Venus helped me a lot with sort of figuring out who I was as a person, like gender and sexuality. I didn't really know much about with myself until I started doing drag. It helped me kind of not accept who I am because I've always been comfortable with that, but it's made me accept other people's perceptions of me a lot more and yeah I think I've just sort of came out as like not a completely different person because I'm the person I've always been but maybe just had the confidence to be who I actually truly am Mm. since before I started drag. 
so I think I mean we've picked your brain about pretty much everything um, so what how so we've already asked like how can we um, how can we find you you know like if, if the listeners are listening and they're like oh damn I really want to follow Venus and see what she's up to how can we find you well my Instagram and Twitter are Venus underscore Milo which is D-I instead of the traditional D-E my Facebook's the same and if anybody wants to send us a message and ask any questions I'm always happy to answer and help so yeah feel free amazing thank you so much Venus for coming on we really appreciate it and for taking the time thank you for asking us that was Venus de Milo talking about how her drag interacts with her disability her gender and her performance Thank you to all our guests for sharing their stories and acts with us on Kicking the Karaoke. And thank you to you. Yeah, you, listening right now. You're our favourite. Just don't tell anyone else. You know what favourites do? Rate and subscribe on iTunes. You star. Catch us again in September while we create content. Please get in touch about those topics, guests and anything else you can think of. We'll still be doing Feminist Fridays and obviously Self Care Sundays. Honestly, we'll be working our butts off. No rests for feminists. No rest for intersectional feminists. And we'll still be checking our privilege every damn day. So get in touch. www.kickingthekariaki.org is our website. Tweet us at kickkariaki. Email kickingthekariaki at gmail.com. And Facebook us at kickingthekariaki. Psst. Hey, you know what? What? These guys are super cute. Who? The listeners. Oh, Yeah. You know what? What? They're even cuter when they kick the karaoke. (laughs) No way! (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.